Uh, so good. Well, that scripture they were reading was from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it there. Um, kids can be super cute. Parents, you know that. Kids can be super cute. They can also be trouble. They can be lovable and at the same time intolerable. Uh, they can be charming and defiant, quiet and obnoxiously loud. They can be, you know, cute and somehow at the same time almost demonic, right? I mean, kids can be a lot of different things. And parents in the room, you know that when you introduce a new child into your household, it changes the dynamic of the whole house, right? Not, uh, and it doesn't matter if it happens by birth or by adoption, by fostering, by um, just babysitting. Uh, we make a new uh, routine, a new culture, a new environment in our household whenever we introduce a new child into it. And that's because infants aren't meant to survive on their own, right? As you know, if you've ever had an infant, they can't feed themselves, they can't change themselves, they can't carry their own weight, they can't even mow the grass. So what are they doing around the house, right? They need somebody more mature or a family to help them grow, to help them mature, to help them uh, become uh, an adult, to help them even survive. And it's the same way when someone is added to the body of Christ, we aren't designed to be Christians apart from the body of Christ. This is something I will never understand when I talk to my friends. I've got some friends who will tell me, you know, me and Jesus are good, but I don't really feel like I need the church. And I'll say, well, first of all, it's Jesus and I, okay, because I'm a better grammar nerd. Uh, but second of all, that doesn't make any sense to me. How can you be in a relationship with Jesus when you're not willing to be in community with his bride or his body? So there are some exciting things happening today. As you've noticed, it is a family service. We don't do this all the time. If you're new here, you're just checking us out. We don't have kids in the service every week, but when we do, it's kind of a big deal. We're excited about that. We've got kids from five to 105 in the room today, uh, but I'm guessing that the things that most of those kids are most excited about are not being at church today, but kids of all ages from little ones to big ones, excited about the fact that today is Halloween, right? So we're excited about that. How many of you are going trick-or-treating tonight? If you're excited, come to my house. Uh, I've got lots of candy to give away. But in honor of that, in honor of Halloween, I brought a friend to help me out with the message this morning. This is Bones. Say hi, Bones. I was actually asking him to say hi, but he can't talk because he's just a pinata. Uh, he's a skeleton. Now, to the untrained eye, this looks like a regular standard Halloween decoration, but there is something very special about Bones because Bones is going to teach us a few things about what we're reading today in 1 Corinthians 12. But before we jump into all that, I want to see how much you know about the human body. So I'm going to ask you a couple of trivia questions, okay? First of all, how many bones are in the human body? I'm going to ask you to... Uh, applaud when you see the answer you think is right. How many of you think the answer is 62? Applaud. Nobody. Everybody knows it's more than 62. How many of you think it's 206? All right, good. How many of you think it's 262? Almost all of you know what I learned in health class, which is the correct answer is 206. There are 206 bones in the human body, uh, unless you are an expert online, and some of those seem to think there's 213. So I don't know where the other seven came from, but uh, depending on who's counting, I think the answer is 206. Next question. How many organs are in the human body? How many organs? Okay. Is it uh, 78? How many think it's 78? Okay. How many of you think it's 87? Are you the ones that always chose B on the test if you didn't know the answer? How many of you think it's 870? 
That's a lot. It seems like a lot. How many of you think it's none of the above? It's another answer. See, you're, you're just mistrusting people, right? You don't think we put the right answer on the board. The right answer is 78, 78 Oregon. So if you got that right, way to go. Uh, according to my very limited research, which I did double check with both Wikipedia and Google, uh, there are 78 organs in the human body. Now, here's my last question. What does all this have to do with the message today? Well, let's look again at that passage. But before we do, I have a question for you. Do you know why skeletons don't play music in church? Because they don't have any organs. Yeah, that didn't go well in the first service either, and I thought about skipping it, but... Okay, let's look at the passage those kids were reading just a few minutes ago. If you got your Bible open, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to start at verse 12. It says this, just as one body, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, Mm. so it is with Christ. Paul says the church is just like a human body. And in the same way that the body is made up of hundreds of bones and many dozens of organs working together as one unit, the church is made up of a body of people, of believers, from different cultural backgrounds, with different gifts and abilities. uh, They're meant to work together as the body of Christ here on earth. We often say that as the church, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's true, but we're also the skin and the Uh, the the heart and the lungs of Jesus, right? Now, we can't afford to miss this. According to Paul, those of us who follow Jesus actually are a representation of his body here on earth. And then the Apostle Paul, who's writing this to the church, he goes on to talk about how one becomes a part of that body. Verse 13, he says, "'For we were all baptized by one spirit "'so as to form one body, "'whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, "'and we were all given the one spirit to drink.'" So when does being a part of that body start? Well, Paul says it's with baptism. But now he's not necessarily talking about water baptism here. And we were going to celebrate water baptisms today, but we didn't have anybody sign up at this campus. We did have one at the Carmel campus today. We've had uh, dozens of people baptized at Genesis this year. So we've had lots of people added to our body. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about being baptized by the Spirit. Now, that's something that happens when you first become a follower of Jesus. When you become a believer in Christ, you invite him into your life. You ask him to be Lord over your life. And at that time, he gives you a free gift. And that gift is the gift of forgiveness. He's forgiven your sins. And at the same time, he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of you, to guide you, to lead you, to comfort you. That's called the baptism of the Spirit. We receive that Spirit. And if you read right before this passage, you'll see that Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit, when he enters our life, he gives us gifts. Gifts like uh, wisdom and miracles and prophecy and discernment and healing and faith are some of the ones that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12. And those gifts are supposed to be used to invest in the church because we are the body of Christ, right? So we invest in the church. We build that body. Uh, When you walked in, maybe you got a puzzle piece, right? You got that puzzle piece. Get that out right now. It may be a little weird that you got a puzzle piece, but it's meant to remind us that we are not designed to stand alone in life, right? When you're not only meant to stand alone in our faith. When you uh, put together a jigsaw puzzle, how many of you like to do jigsaw puzzles? Kids, you probably got a whole jigsaw puzzle in your uh, kit today, or you'll get one on the way out if you didn't. But when you do a jigsaw puzzle, there are two things you know before you start. One, Uh, Every piece is unique. It's the only one that can fill its spot in the big picture, right? It's the only one that can serve its role. And two, all of the pieces work together 
to form that larger picture. And this piece on its own is special in its design, right? It's, it can be beautiful, but it's never going to reach its full potential until it's put in its place among all the other pieces. And so Jesus understood that. And I think that's why the Bible gives us some very clear instructions for how we're supposed to interact as followers of Christ. Uh, I call them the one another's. There's a lot of these in the Bible. In fact, as I read scripture, I see 59 one another's in scripture. Does anybody know any of the one another's in scripture? Just shout them out if you know one. Love one another. What's that? Serve one another. It says be united with one another. Care for one another. Share one another's burdens. Just some of those 59 one another's. And many of these come with other instructions. Uh, how do you love one another? Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, so you should love one another. Uh, but here's the simple truth. There's one vehicle, there's one device that God has given us to carry out these one another's, and it's the church. It's this body. The, the church is what God designed uh, for us to help us care for one another. And so that's what I really want to focus on today, this passage on down from here down to verse 31. In your Bible, this section might be titled, Unity and Diversity in the Church. And I want to tell you something that maybe will blow your mind about that title, because when we see that phrase, unity and diversity, uh, we think something, and that's that unity and diversity are opposites, right? Because unity means the same, and diversity means different, and so how can we have the same and different in the same body? How can we have unity and diversity in the church? We can't have unity and diversity in the church, right? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. We, in fact, we, not only can we have unity and diversity in the church, Paul is going to argue that we need unity and diversity. So when we have uniformity, everybody, without diversity is uniformity. And so when we have uniformity, everybody has the same beliefs, everybody does the same thing, everybody has the same, uh, we're, we're like a clones of one another, right? That's not good. We, we need to be a whole body, not just a jumble of the same part. And when we have diversity without unity, we have division. And that's no good either. That's every man for himself. Each person is an island. And when there's no structure, no unifying mission, that we all just kind of do what we want, and the kingdom does not advance. And so we need both unity and diversity. I mean, just think about what a big issue this has been in the church, even over the last 18 months with things like an election and masks and vaccines and uh, race relations. Would you describe what you've experienced as unity and diversity or as more like forced uniformity and division? I would say it's more the latter. That's what we've seen more of. And we live in a world that's becoming more focused on us versus them, right? We we have our beliefs and our way that we live, and anybody who lives differently than that uh, is not for us, so they must be part of them, so they must be against us. And in fact, if they're against us on one thing, I'm just going to assume they're against us on everything else, so I'm not going to listen to anything else they say because they have a different opinion on this issue, and so I'm going to block them on social media. I'm not going to hear from them. I'm not going to listen to their voice because they're different from us. They're not us. They're them. And this us versus them mentality um, this is why it's really critical for those of us who make up the body of Christ to learn to practice unity and diversity within the church specifically. And while it's great to celebrate how God has designed each one of us to be unique and different from each other, our goal within the church has to be to be united in our faith in Jesus so that we can work together in taking care of one another and so that we can, at the very same time, help other people who are out there find their way back to God. 
which is why Paul is urging us to strive for both unity and diversity in the church. Let's look at his words through that lens, okay, starting in verse 14. He says this, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And then Paul is going to go on and use a really weird example to prove his point. Examples that, I don't know, I they, I think they're just super appropriate given that it's Halloween, okay? And so verse 17, he goes on. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? You know, if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? By the way, if you're looking, still looking for a Halloween costume, there's some great ideas on the screen right now. Uh, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I just want to stop right there and say this. Some of you are so lost in your current situation. You're so confused by what God's doing in your life. And this can be really powerful for you. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if we believe that God's wisdom is better than our wisdom, I mean, that just has to speak to us today. And he says this, verse 19, he says, if they were all one part, where would the body be? How creepy is that, <laughs> right? A box full of mannequin hands. Where would the body be? But as it, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. And I love this picture, and I know you can't read it, but I love this picture because it's got all the parts of the skeleton, and they're all labeled, and they all have their place, and they're all important. Now, I know this seems like a ridiculous example that Paul uses, but he's reminding us of the beauty and the importance of diversity and unity in the church, in the body of Christ. Diversity, okay? Let's talk about diversity. Diversity of gifts, for sure. Diversity of colors and backgrounds. Diversity of social classes, absolutely. But also, diversity of political views. I mean, as long as those views don't clash with what Scripture has to say, we need that diversity in the body. Diversity of theological viewpoints. Now, I know there are some essentials that we can't compromise on, absolutely. But friends, we can endlessly debate things that we will never know the answer to this side of glory. And we get hung up on those things, and it makes us us versus them. We need that diversity in the church. But then Paul goes on, and he says, at the same time we need diversity, we need unity. Look at verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division of the body, Okay? but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. It's like Paul is reminding us that what part of what unity means is that God's spirit is working through everyone in a unified way. So we need unity in the church. We need diversity, for sure, but we need unity, not division. Uh, we need diversity and unity, and one without the other is just no good. And so take a look again at that puzzle piece. I mean, it seems pretty insignificant, right? It seems like you could just throw it away and no one would even notice. But let's be honest. How often have you gone to put together a jigsaw puzzle and they're a little bit uh, addicting and so you get hung up and it's 
11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning, and you're working on the jigsaw puzzle and you get all finished and you get to the very end and there's a piece missing and it drives you absolutely nutty. And finally you go, you know what? I'm just gonna leave it on the table. Maybe I'll find it in the morning and you go to bed, but you can't sleep. And so at two o'clock in the morning, you get up and you walk back down the stairs and you're under the dining room table on the carpet looking for that piece. Maybe I wonder if I dropped it over by the baseboard. Did the cat eat it? What happened? You know, you're looking for that piece because no piece is less important than any other piece, right? They're all important and they're all indispensable. But maybe if you're honest, at some time in your life, you viewed yourself kind of like that puzzle piece too, that you think, I'm dispensable. I'm not useful. Maybe you wondered if you just disappeared from the church, would anybody even notice? Maybe some Sunday mornings you wake up and you think, ah, you know what? They're not going to miss me today. It's just easier to stay home. Or maybe you hear us up here week after week talking about how we think you should join a connection group or be a part of GSM, our student ministry, or how if you call Genesis your church home, you should be using those spiritual gifts to serve somewhere in the church. And, and you hear those calls, but you think, ah, you know, what, is, like, what does one person really matter? Well, let me tell you. The church will never function as God intended it to function if every piece doesn't do its part. And if you've thought things like that about yourself, I'm not really important, I'm not really that critical, God doesn't really need me. The church doesn't really need me. I just want to read a passage to you that if you're doing our planted reading plan, you read this psalm this week. It's from Psalm 139. Leah read part of it earlier when she was on stage. Psalm 139, 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your, your eyes, God's eyes, okay? God's eyes saw your unformed body. All the days of your life were ordained for you before were written in God's book before one of them even came to be. I just want you to hear that this morning. I want you to know that God made you. He knows you. He made you with a purpose. And before, he, before you ever existed, he saw you and he saw your unformed body and he created you with a purpose, with a passion, and for a reason. And you need to know that. You're a critical part of the church. You're a critical part of your family. You're a critical part of this world. And God doesn't make accidents. And just like this puzzle piece, you are unique. There's not another one like you. There's not another person who can take your place. There's not another person who can fit exactly where you fit. There's not another person in the world who has your same mix of gifts and abilities and passions and talents. And you are unique. This is what makes you, you. And you're designed to be a part of a bigger body, of a bigger picture. You're made to be part of a bigger puzzle. That's how God designed you. And that's how he designed the church. And man, in a world filled with anger and vitriol, how important is it for the church to be able to stand up and be representatives of that to people? to be representatives of the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, how much does this world need less yelling and more listening and less arguing and more understanding, less judgment and more forgiveness, less division and more unity? And of all the places you should be able to find that, shouldn't it be in the church of Jesus Christ? I mean, shouldn't we, the people of God, be the first ones who are able to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness? Shouldn't the people who have been forgiven an unpayable debt 
by the death of Jesus Christ, shouldn't be be the first ones to be able to forgive others who need to be forgiven. I mean, after all, the very next chapter that you read in your Bible is the very famous 1 Corinthians 13. Most of us know it as the love chapter. You probably, if you're married, maybe they read it at your wedding. Maybe you can recite part of it by memory, you know, but Paul talks about how love will deny itself in order to look out for the well-being of others. And we read it at our weddings, but will we practice it in our households, in our family gatherings, in our schools, in our town squares? The world that we're living in right now, diversity is a good thing. There's, a, there's an overriding message for everybody to be as different and distinctive as you want to be, right? Don't, don't let anybody put you in a box or tell you what to believe. Don't let anybody tell you what you can identify as or what you can't identify as. Or uh, Everyone gets to make your own rules, and whatever's true for you is true for you, but it doesn't have to be true for me. You know, we're living in a world that champions diversity at all costs while ignoring the need for true unity. And the result is that it feels like we're living on the edge of anarchy, That's why both unity and diversity are important in the church. And why is that? Why are they important? Well, because Paul goes on to say that's how we care for one another. That the variety of people in the church allows us to better care for one another. Look at this, verse 25 again. He says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is one of the things I love about this church, friends. This is one of the things I love about Genesis Church is how we love one another, how we care for one another, how we serve one another. I love, I love how we care for one another's kids. It, nothing makes my heart happier than to be here after the service and to see all these little kids running around together with the parents talking at the back of the room. And they're like, I know that those parents right there in that moment, they're caring for one another and their kids are caring for one another. I love that. I, I love my connection group and that how even when we're not meeting together on Friday nights, I know that we're praying for each other. And every day we get a message from somebody in the group. Hey, be praying about this. Hey, I'm praying for you today. How did that test come out? How's, how's your neighbor doing? How's your friend? that we're praying for one another. Uh, Kids, you can practice this by being the the kid at school that looks out for the new person or the one that's on the the margins, the one that's left out by sitting by somebody different at lunch today or tomorrow, by um, being the one who's always asking new kids into your playgroup. You know, we do this. We we wanna care for each other. And I just wanna uh, encourage you, if you're not part of a group, we think it's really important to be a part of one. In fact, we've got a new group that's starting next week here at Genesis. If you're new, you've been checking it out, checking us out, and you want to get connected and meet some new people, uh, we've got a new group that starts next Sunday, November 7th. It's a Sunday morning group. Uh, ben Krause, uh, our groups and disciple-making uh, pastor, is leading it. Uh, they're doing a, a study of the book Prodigal God by Tim Keller, and it's going to be here at this campus during the second service in another room, and uh, you're welcome to join that. You can sign up online, genesischurch.me, or you can go to the Genesis Church app, and you can find that group there. Sign up for it and get connected to some other people. It's going to be during the second service, as I said. But I also love how we meet the needs of others. I love um, about once a month, somebody will come up and hand me an envelope of cash and say, can you make sure so-and-so gets this? And I like get to be the messenger and taking that to somebody who needs it. I love, this is why we do, you know, love your neighbor. We started this last week. If you weren't here, our love your neighbor drive started. You probably saw the display in the lobby. We're collecting items. I think it's our seventh year in a row for our partners at Food for Souls that will be um, taken down to homeless camps in Indiana and shared with our brothers and sisters without homes. And if you want to be a part of that, you can pick up this list at the info hub on your way out. 
And you can buy some of these items, bring them back on or before November 14th, and we'll get them in the hands of Food for Souls. And it's one way that we care for each other. You know, this is one way the church was designed to meet the needs of others. And, and we do that because Acts 4 talks about how the first church did this. Acts 4.32 says that all the believers were in one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And what a great model for our church to take care of one another, to have equal concern for the other parts. And why do we do this? Well, because we had a Savior that did this. And we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who loved us first. He gave first. He took the punishment that we deserve, and in in exchange, we got gain from it. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5. You'll read this verse next week if you're in our reading plan. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Since Jesus, it says, since Jesus died for us, we can do no less than live for him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful uh, for the message of unity and diversity in the church. And uh, I just repent of the times where I've not valued that. If there are times in my life where I've thought, no, we need to think more alike or we need to be more unified and less diverse. Lord, I repent of that. And um, at the same time, God, I just know that it's your desire for us to be diverse, but to be unified in mission. And so uh, we pray for that in our church and our body and each of us individually. We pray that we would uh, look for ways to do that. And Father, we uh, want what you want for your church. And so we thank, we thank you that you've given us this uh, metaphor of a body, of a human body, that we are all equal parts. I thank you that you've reminded us today that each of us is important, that each of us has a part to play. And I pray that as we go through our week, you would constantly be reminding us of that, of our value, because you created us. You knew us. You saw our unformed body before we were made. And Lord, I'm thankful for that today. We praise you and we thank you for what you're doing here at Genesis and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.